So if you have a Bible this morning or an electronic device that has the, the scriptures on it, turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter, Acts chapter 16. I've been spending a lot of time in Acts 16 this week, uh, actually for an assignment for school, and it was really uh, great to have to read it over and over and over again. And uh, I was really struck by what we can learn for our time and how this actually should lead us and prepare us to go to the Lord's table together. So I want to quickly read um, just a couple verses from this. And then I want to pray, and then we'll come back and get into it together. I just want to read verses 30 to 32. So he brought them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And Father, we do pray that you would bless our time in your word, you would bless our time in conversation, and Lord, you would make yourself known to us afresh here this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. I think we probably all agree that in different uh, ways and at various levels, we are in a season of suffering. It kind of sounds a little bit like a first world problem when I say it, but there is a truth to that. There's a truth that COVID has been difficult for people all over the world. Different ways that different people have suffered, whether it be physically or emotionally, or their mental health has suffered, or financially. But this is a season of suffering. And in a season of suffering, we don't want to ignore or downplay the difficulty of that. But we also don't want that to be what we only think about. We, we want to be able to, in the midst of suffering, recognizing that we're suffering, still be able to celebrate. In fact, this is why we're here this week, or why we're here on this fourth Sunday, to celebrate, to, to come together to say, Lord, you, what you've done for us is enough. What you've done for us is our hope. You are worthy to be remembered, Lord Jesus. We want to take you in through the act of communion. And so what I want to do is share a story, a pretty familiar story, if you've been around church much, in Acts chapter 16, where Paul finds himself in a difficult place. So let's just look at the first bit from verses 16 to, to 24. It says, at Paul, this is actually Luke writing about Paul, Paul's team, including himself. And he writes, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God. Probably said it more like, These men are servants of the Most High God. I don't know who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So pretty heavy stuff, like exorcist type stuff, actually going on in this story. Paul and his team are going out and they're sharing Jesus with whoever will listen going into Jewish synagogues, sharing that Jesus is the Messiah. When that doesn't work out too well, going to the Gentiles who might want to hear about Jesus, telling them about Jesus and he, how he's God's chosen king. And as they're traveling, here's these, these two men, who's, or at least two men, who seem to own uh, this girl. It's got enough problems by itself, doesn't it? 
And they own her and they're keeping her captive. Why? Because she apparently is demon-possessed and able to do some sort of fortune-telling that's making them rich. And as they, as they kind of follow around and this, this kind of the, the spirit or the demon in this girl is, is trying to give Paul some recognition, you really don't want demonic recognition and Paul's kind of annoyed by this in the same way Jesus was annoyed when it happened to him. And so what does Paul do? Paul, in the name of Jesus, by the power of Jesus, casts out the spirit. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if, if I found a, a, a young girl who was enslaved to men, and that enslavement was due in part to demon possession, and I had the power in Jesus' name to cast out that demon, I would do that, and I would think people would think it's a good thing. But people don't think it's a good thing. Specifically, the guys who are doing this don't think it's a good thing. So it says in verse 19, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged him into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined, them, uh, joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them gave, them, gave orders to beat them with rods, and when they had inflicted blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordered the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So, so here's what's happening. Paul is doing a good thing. He's preaching the gospel. Paul comes across, uh, across, uh, across a crisis with this girl, and he casts the demon out to, to, to liberate her. And what happens? He and his team suffer greatly for it. They're falsely accused. They weren't really doing anything illegal. They're, they're arrested. They're beaten. And, and Luke's really clear to tell us this was no light beating. You get this idea that, in fact, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 11, some of the times he was beaten, he was beaten beyond number. You, you, you get, don't get a picture of like uh, some light little kind of slaps around the head that would be, you know, scary, but maybe not damaging. This is like getting probably beat to the point of almost being unconscious. And then they're, they're told to make sure these guys are in the strictest part of the prison. They bring them to the low uh, secret part of the, uh, of the prison and they put them in stocks. I don't know if you know what stocks are, but they, it's this large piece of wood with two kind of holes in it and your feet go in the holes and they lock them down so that you're in this place with your legs spread out until your legs start spasming and cramping up. It's not a very pleasant place to be. And all this happened, why? Because they were trying to do a good thing. They were trying to follow Jesus. Now, we're going to see how they responded in just a minute. But before that, I want you guys to talk in your groups. Just take a few minutes to talk in your groups. And here's what I want you to talk about. Have you ever been treated badly for doing the right thing? Not, I'm not even saying necessarily a Jesus thing, but just doing the right thing. Something you knew that was the right thing to do, and you were treated badly for it. If so, what do you think motivated the person who was mistreating you? And if not, why do you think that is? If you've never been mistreated for doing something uh, uh, good, why, why is that? So talk amongst yourselves about that for just a couple minutes. So I'm sure there's some good stories going on here. I wonder, as you were talking about this, uh, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but I wonder how many people thought, I've never been treated badly for doing something good. And I wonder, what, what does that imply? 
Are, are we just so separated from people that people don't know us well enough to do that? Is it just because, you know, British culture is so polite? I, I, one of the things I loved when I first moved here was uh, when I stepped on someone else's toe and they said, I'm sorry. <laughs> love that. In all seriousness, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because we don't want to be troublemakers. We don't want to be the kind of people that are causing problems. But we should be the kind of people, if we're Jesus followers, who are principled enough to take some sort of risks for the gospel. And here Paul finds himself in a place. He's not looking for any trouble. In fact, initially he doesn't even cast the demon out of the, of the girl, which is uh, something to think about. But, but eventually when it comes to a point like, look, this is, this is bad advertisement for the gospel we're going to deal with this thing. He does, and he suffers greatly for it. He and Silas, as I said before, falsely accused, arrested, beaten, imprisoned. So what happens next? Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now the phrase singing hymns to God, it's actually one word in the Greek. It's, it literally means to sing hymns to God. And the reason I say that, though, it's an idea of their celebrating who God is in song. Having just been beaten, having just been falsely accused, having been arrested, being in prison, while they're in stocks, they're saying, God is so good, he's so good to me. Probably better singing than that, but you know what I'm saying. And, and, and what's happening? The prisoners are listening. They're paying attention because this is like, whoa, this doesn't happen in prison. As, as it is today, so it was back then. Many of the people that go to prison go to prison over and over again. And so they know what the system's like, and it ain't good. Sometimes it's not fair. And they're in there, and they're thinking... We see people complaining. We see people proclaiming their innocence. We don't hear people celebrating God when they're in the situation. But that's what was happening. And it's almost like as this is happening, I get the sense in the context that, that it's like God says, oh, I like this so much, I'm going to underscore this. And what happens? Verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now, now God's doing this for a reason. And, I, and it, I know it doesn't say God did this, but I think it's pretty clear God did this, you know. Or the timing was impeccable. Or the singing was really loud, I don't know. But there was an earthquake and the foundations were shaken. And I think it's really clear that Luke is using this kind of terminology, not just to describe what he knew happened, but to tie it to a principle that we see in Scripture. The author of Hebrews uh, talks about this principle of God shaking foundations in Hebrews chapter 12. Listen, it says, Now God has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, the things that are made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. The scripture teaches us that God sometimes shakes things up. Whether that be an earthquake, or whether that be through the persecution for doing the right thing. That God shakes things up, and He uses that suffering that we go through as an opportunity for Jesus' followers to point to Jesus. That's what He does. He shakes things up. Now, 
we are in a situation that we didn't ask for. In fact, we're in a situation that many, everybody's in, aren't we? Things are been shaken up. There's, there's things going on now that are really, in some ways, unprecedented. Yes, we've had pandemics before. Yes, there's even been lockdowns before. I know some people say there hasn't, but there has been. But what we haven't had before is a situation where we know everything about the whole world. We hear everyone's opinion about everything in the whole world. And so everyone's experiencing the same thing and looking at it radically differently. And they're frustrated and they're, they're wanting an answer. Why? Because they're all suffering, wanting, wondering what's the point. They're, they're like Paul and Silas in prison, people in prison, all in the same boat. They're complaining, they're frustrated, they feel the injustice, or they, they want to claim their own innocence. But what happens? They hear singing, and then God, to make it clear, they feel the shaking up. And, and what's really shaking them up is that these guys somehow are handling the situation different than us. Now, now please don't project our modern Western legal system into the situation. If that happened to you or I, we might sing in prison because we know we got some good lawyers or we trust the uh, democratic system or what have you. That didn't exist in Rome. Not like we know it. You're on the wrong side of Rome, you're busted. There's no way you're going to get out of that. And yet these guys are still praising God and God's underscoring that with an earthquake to say, this is what I'm doing, I'm shaking things up. Now, this earthquake, of course, loosens bonds. And I've heard lots of guys preach about how God shakes things up to set us free. That's totally true, but I don't think that's the point here. The point here is what's happening in this situation. The, the, the doors are open, the chains fall off people, and miracle of miracles, nobody runs away. Nobody runs away. Least of which, Paul and Silas. Now, Paul and Silas are innocent. Good chance a lot of the other guys were guilty, but Paul and Silas was innocent. They were innocent. And they don't run away. And so when the earthquake happens, the chains falls off, the chains falls, the doors wide are wide open. What happens? The jailer knows something big has happened. In verse 27, it says, When the jailer woke and he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the, the, the prisoners had escaped. Now he's not just feeling like I've failed. This is him knowing that he's accountable to the Roman government to make sure his prisoners stay prisoners. And if he lets one go, he has to suffer their prison time. He has to suffer the shame of that. And he will eventually be ex executed for that. So he's like, I'm going to save all, the, all that kind of suffering and I'm going to just end it now. So here he is. He's about to kill himself. And what happens? Verse 28, Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. I love this. Because Paul could have justified running away. He could have said, forget it, this is unjust, it's wrong. You're taking away my freedom. This shouldn't be happening. He could have justified running away, but he doesn't. He chooses the jailer's life over his freedom. That's what he does. He decides, it's more important that I save this man's life than I get out of prison this moment. But don't get me wrong. Paul was looking to get out of prison. If you were to continue to read the context, you see that's the case. Even using the legal system to get out of prison. But the point is, at this moment, he thought, what's more important right now is this man's soul. That's the most important thing. And what happens? Remember now, don't forget this context. 
the jailer would have known the circumstances of Paul's arrest. He would have known about a, a, a slave girl with an evil spirit that was cast out. He would have known about the, the, the slave owners who lost money. He would have known about the crowd wanting to see them punished. He would have known about uh, the beatings. He's the one who stuck Paul and Silas in this inner prison and probably stuck them in the, the stocks. He knew all this was happening. He would have heard the singing and probably thought, that's a bit odd. He felt the earthquake. Something that probably had never happened in that way before. Earthquakes, yes, but not earthquakes that open every door and drop every chain. But those things only led him to death. What brought him to his knees when Paul says, don't do it, we're still here? In other words, when Paul shows mercy. Look what happens in verse 29. In verse 29, it says, And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, we, we don't know for sure that he's thinking salvation the way we think salvation. We don't know if he's thinking, how can my sins be forgiven? How can I be right with the God who made me? We don't know for sure he's thinking that. It could just be he's thinking, how can I be delivered from a sentence of death? Because the Romans should kill me. It could be that he's thinking, the God you sung to has more power than my gods. How can I be right with that God? Who knows? But we know that Paul's answer, that Paul wants to tell him that he can be saved the way we understand being saved. And I just want to, before we get into that, I just want to be really clear about this. Do you see that what's going on? The jailer knew about all the suffering. He knew all that was going on. But what he responds to is when he's shown mercy. Then it says, look at verse 31. And then they said, here's what they said. I love it. It says that it says they said. It didn't say Paul said. Though, I don't know if they all said in unison. That would be kind of creepy. <laughs> you shall believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's an idea that they were all in agreement to this. This was the corporate message of Paul and Silas. They, they knew this was true. I can, I can picture Paul saying it and S Silas nodding and said, yeah, amen, yes, yes. Paul says simply, simply as simply can be, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your whole household. He says to this man, listen, it's not even just that you're not going to die because we're still here. You can be saved for something much worse than Roman execution. Because there's someone who experienced Roman execution for you. His name is Jesus. He was crucified on a Roman cross. And because he was crucified on a Roman cross, you can know that your sins are forgiven. Your failures are made up for. Your future is secure. You can know this. I love this because it says, as after he said this, it says, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. In other words, they, did, they gave that message. It was intriguing enough for, 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 for the, the jailer to say, okay, I, I, my whole house needs to hear this message. And then they took the time to explain who Jesus was, what Jesus had done for them, how they could be made right with him. The whole gospel. Now, you need to understand something. Why was the jailer willing to listen to Paul? Yes, he showed him mercy, but it was that with everything else in the context of suffering. In other words, listen, it was how 
Paul and Silas suffered. Not just that they suffered. The jailer saw lots of people suffer. Probably saw people who cried out for mercy because they were suffering. But here with Paul and Silas, the jailer sees this. He sees men suffering when they're innocent and still celebrating the God they serve. And they're not just celebrating. When they have a chance to one-up their, their captors, they say, no, we want to show you mercy. Please don't kill yourself. Do you, do you see what's going on here? The way Paul and Silas suffered actually brought credibility to the way Christ suffered for their sins, for, Christ, for uh, the jailer's sins. Listen. We are in a, in a season right now that is like none other. Because it's not, just, it's not that, uh, that suffering is something new to our lives. We all suffer in different ways at different times. But we are now all suffering in this world for the same reasons, basically. Yeah, various ways, uh, differing degrees, but for the same reason. But what's meant to set us apart as Jesus followers is how we suffer. I don't stand here saying, be like me, I've suffered so well. Because even this morning I was complaining about wearing a mask. I don't like wearing a mask. It's hard. It's hard to, to deal with these things. But how am I willing to suffer? And listen, am I willing to suffer well so that Christ's suffering is seen clearly? What motivated Paul and Silas to do this was the fact that they... They didn't just want the jailer. They didn't plan to kind of share with the jailer this way. They just wanted anybody who would listen to know how great their God was. A God who would take on flesh to actually take on a wrath that he should pour out on people. He took it out on himself so that anyone who's willing could be forgiven and saved. What happens? It says in verse 33 that the jailer took uh, them the same hour of the night. In other words, he explains the gospel to him. He's obviously believing the gospel. Takes him the same hour of the night. He washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his, all his family. Then he brought them up into his house, and he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire house that he had believed in God. Now, I want you to think about the, the, how big of a deal this is. Because the jailer in doing this, the, the jailer in, in not just making a profession of faith or even rejoicing, wow, it's so good, to that story just really moves me, I love that. But I mean, he, he actually takes the prisoner into his home, that's a risk. He washes his wounds and sets food before him, that's repentance. He gets baptized. Don't you know, people would have known he's being baptized publicly declaring his faith, his identity in Jesus. That's a risk. These guys were arrested for proclaiming the lordship of Jesus. He does this, and he does this with joy. Why? Because he believed the simple gospel that Paul preached. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. He was saved. His whole household believed and were saved. There's this great verse in Colossians chapter 1. Where Paul writes, now I rejoice in what I, have, uh, what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now Paul wasn't saying that, that Jesus' death was insufficient 
to pay for people's sins. Of course it was. We know Paul believed that because he taught that all over the place. What he was saying is this. What is lacking in Christ's death for those who weren't there to see it is to see it. People need to see that God is so good, He's willing to suffer to end others' suffering. That God is this good, He's so good, that He's willing to die a Roman execution to make sure a Roman executioner doesn't get executed. He's that good. He's that gracious. He's that merciful. This good God is the God that calls all people to repent. It simply means to say, stop your allegiance to lies and sins and false gods and turn and put your allegiance to God. Repentance is really the uh, other side of the coin of faith. He calls us all to do it. Why? Because he's that good. And this jailer did it. I know it's really a, a, a season of suffering. I think as we were setting up this morning and you know, realizing that we are kind of... Because we have to do the social distancing thing, understandably so, we kind of max out at 70 here. We could probably put maybe, we were thinking maybe another six or nine people on each side of the stairs there. But we're not going to get anywhere near everyone back in in one Sunday for a while. And it stinks. It does. It is a level of suffering. But it's not that much. And let's be honest... Is it worth us being willing to suffer so that we can say, you know what, we can do this joyfully because our God is so good that even in the midst of suffering, he can be celebrated. And if you would just believe in this Jesus, you'd know there's hope beyond COVID. In fact, I want to make sure I address anyone who's watching, not just at home, but those who might be watching this later on, especially those of you who are new to this Christian stuff. I want you to know that this is, uh, is something that, that can happen to you now. That you don't have to be here in person with us. Our God is omnipresent. It means there's no place in the universe that He doesn't dwell. You don't just have one part of God. He dwells in all places at all times. He cannot be hidden. And if you would just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you too could be saved. If you would just turn from your sin and say, Lord, I want you more than I want my sin. If you would just believe that what Jesus did for you on the cross was enough to pay for your sin. If you would just believe that he's alive today, you could meet him, you could know him, you could have the hope and peace that we have in him. It's important that we recognize that we celebrate communion. Not because, listen, not because we're trying to Fulfill a law, though it is a command. It's not an option. We're not doing this because we think that if we suffer with Jesus, that earns us salvation. No. Though we are called to suffer with Jesus. We do this because we recognize it's not our suffering that saves us. It's Jesus' suffering on our, on, for us that saves us. It's Jesus' suffering for us, listen, that guarantees our salvation and gives meaning to our suffering. It's not in vain. It's not in vain. The esters are going to pass out the elements of communion. And communion, in case you don't realize this, or if you're 
watching at home and you're getting the elements ready. Communion is something that we have with God because of Jesus. We are, we are having like a commune. We're having something, a common union together with God through Jesus. Think about it. Communion, in a sense, is, is, is like us grabbing onto God's hand or giving God a, a, a real hug or leaning on his chest. It's us having an intimate time of connection, of relationship, only because of what Jesus has done. And communion is a chance for us to remember what Jesus has done to make that real. This is why it's often called the Eucharist, which is a Greek word that means, it comes from a Greek word that means to give thanks. Jesus gave thanks when he broke the bread and established this act of communion. This is a time for us to celebrate our God in the midst of our suffering because of what he's done for us. So the Bible says that we are not to do this in an unworthy manner, which means we shouldn't take it lightly. It means that we should recognize that this is drawing near to a holy God. It means that we remember that he's the one who's died for our sins. It's a good, good time for us to confess our sins and say, Lord, forgive me for this thing and that thing. Whatever it is God's put on your heart that you know you need to ask him for forgiveness for, ask him for forgiveness and receive that forgiveness. But hold your portion to the end, and as one family, we're going to take communion together. On the day Jesus was betrayed, the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he says, take, eat. This is my body. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. We recognize that his body was broken on our behalf. And we recognize that he did that so that we could become his body. And so, Lord, we partake of this bread in remembrance of him. Let's partake together. And then he took the cup. And having given thanks, he said, this is the blood, this is my blood of the new covenant. And we thank you, Father, for making a new covenant for us. Lord, the old covenant was fine, but we couldn't keep it. But you made a new covenant that was dependent upon you less than it's dependent upon us. It was about what you do, what you start and finish. And it's all about the spilt blood of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that our wounds have been washed by his blood. We thank you that we are fed by that work. We thank you, Lord, that we have become your children because of what Jesus has done for us. That's qualified us to be in your family. And so as one family, Lord, in remembrance of Jesus, we partake together. Let's partake together. Amen. So, this week, do some good in Jesus' name. 
And when you're treated badly for it, if you're treated badly for it, celebrate. Celebrate the God who saved you, who loves you. If you're not treated for it, bad for it, celebrate still. <laughs> celebrate you didn't get treated bad for doing something good. But above all things, draw near to Jesus. God bless you. Hope to see you next week.